You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. All right. We'll be in Colossians 1 to begin with, and then we'll bounce all, all around through the Bible. So a couple months ago, I had a, had a, uh, a friend of mine had some water damage in, his, uh, in, in one of his rooms. He had some hardwood floors. And so we went over to, uh, to tear up these hardwood floors um, for him so he could get some, get some tile in there. So we went over and started, started tearing up hardwood floors. And there was, um, underneath the hardwood floor was, was plywood. And so there was plywood, hardwood floor, um, glued on top of that. So, so essentially all we were doing is we were getting our fingers, fingers underneath the plywood and we were getting the plywood up. It was nailed to the ground. And then as we got the plywood up, obviously the hardwood floor comes up. And so about two and a half hours, two, three hours in, we had one little section left. We had one section left. And so um, I was on a roll, so I kind of get, get my fingers underneath the plywood, and I start to lift, and I got it to about knee, knee height, and I couldn't get any more, so I had to bail out. And so I walked around um, like any non-handy guy would do, just kind of just start walking around like, like I'm thinking. And, and before I go further, I just want to affirm, men, if you're not handy, you're not less of a man. You're all right. Like, can I speak gospel to us men that aren't handy? Like, your, your approval's not found in how handy you are. I think Dan and I are going to start a ministry for the non-handy. Dan and I. So, I'm not handy at all. The, the bad part is the guy that I was helping is worse than I am. And so, to kind of take a look. So I thought, I'll just try another angle. So I, again, same thing, you know, trying to get it up and it won't come up. And so I asked my buddy, hey, let's, let's do this. Come on, man. I need, I need your help. And so for the next probably 25 minutes, 20, 25 minutes, he and I did this little song and dance, right? Ready? One, two, three. We grunt, we grunt, we grunt, we grunt. Can't get it. Got a bell out. Would come slapping back down on the floor. Could not figure it out, right? Just worked hard take a rest, we'd go get water, we'd sit back down, get, catch our breath, and like, all right, you ready? Yeah, let's do it again. So we do it again for 25 minutes. And then I did again what any non-handyman would do. I just kept looking, and I noticed, it took me like 30 minutes to notice, that the wood, the, the floor was underneath the, 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 uh, the wall. It's like they had laid the floor and then, and then sheetrocked the wall. And so I'm like, man, I don't know what to do here. So I said, hey, do you got a saw? I think we could, I think we could saw it, and it would, it would come out. And, of course, he didn't have a saw, like no saw at all. And so I w- went to my house, got the saw, um, had an electric saw. Once we figured out how to use it, we, we, just, we just sawed right across, and, man, it came out easy. It came out easy. And I, I tell you this story because it's a good illustration of how many of us live the Christian life. We live the Christian life like this, like, I'm going to just grind it out. I'm going to one, two, three, heave. I'm going to sprint hard for about a week or two. And if you're really disciplined, maybe a month. Like, if you're off the charts disciplined, maybe six months. But then you hit a wall, right? You, you, you hit a wall. So we do this one, two, three, heave ho. We maybe go to a men's conference after, after, we're, after we're exhausted, after we're just fried, after we're like, I, I'm, I'm done with this. We go to a men's conference, and we get all hyped up. Or we go to a women's conference, and we're hyped up. We're ready to roll, and we do that for a couple weeks, and then we hit another wall. We go one, two, three, 
heave-ho, can't-do-it, step-back, rest. Right? That's how many of us live this Christian life. In Colossians 1, Paul's saying, no, no, no. This, this is not how you grow in your fruitfulness. Like, you're, you don't grow in fruitfulness. You don't grow in maturity by just, by just grinding it out. So look with me in verse 5 of Colossians 1. Verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as, an indeed, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So what Paul's saying here, Paul is saying that if you want to be fruitful, if you want to grow in your maturity in Christ, if you want to grow in your Christ-likeness, you need to understand the gospel. Like, there's hard work to be done, but it's not the hard work that we normally do. It's the hard work of understanding, seeing all the implications of the gospel, like who we are and what we are in Christ. So if you want to grow in fruitfulness, you need to understand the gospel. Okay? So if I, if I bring, if I bring a, two buddies up here, and, 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 and one of my buddies over here, he's not a believer, doesn't know Jesus. The other buddy here knows Jesus, Christian, loves Jesus. And if I were to ask you, uh, or ask the church in general, what is this buddy's primary need? Like this unbeliever, what is his number one primary need in life? I think we'd all say he, he needs Jesus, right? He, he needs the gospel. And if I were to point to this buddy who's saved, and say, what is his primary need? Like his deepest, number one primary need. What is it? And I think a lot of times we'd get this. We'd get, well, he needs to get plugged into a good Bible-believing church. He needs to memorize some scripture. He needs to learn to read the Bible. Maybe take a hermeneutics class if he has time. He needs to learn to share his faith. Maybe a uh, contagious Christianity class that they're having at the, at the local church. We'd give a list of things to do. And those things are great, by the way. Right? I'm not knocking those. But his primary need, his number one deepest heartfelt need, he needs the gospel as well. Like unbeliever needs the gospel. Believer needs the gospel. Right? We, if you're in here and you have a pulse, you need the gospel. That's your deepest need is to see and understand the gospel. We, we grow. When we, when we think through fruitfulness and growth, we need to think through this grid. It's not what our work can do. It's not our work. It's not focusing on what we can do, but it's focusing on what Christ has done for us that motivates us to grow. Okay? So let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk gospel. I'm going to come from three areas. We're going to talk sin, we're going to talk atonement, and then we're going to talk adoption. So turn with me to uh, Romans 5.8 real quick. Should be on the screen as well. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, let's talk sin. Um, I was saved in 98, 1998. And had, for, for a long time, had a theology of sin like this. Like, there, it's, it's murder, it's stealing, adultery. I mean, there's some high-level sins. For me, personally, it was lust, cussing, and dipping. Like, those were, those were the things the Lord convicted me on, but 
that was my, that, those were my things, right? Those, that was sin. You ask me what sin is, that was my sin. There would be many days where I didn't lust, cuss, or dip, and I'm like, no need for, evidently, no need to repent today because I'm, I'm good. I haven't committed any sins, right? So I had this top-shelf, purely behavior mindset when it comes to sin, okay? Purely behavior. I thought everything, well, it was all behavior. On the screen should be Mark 7. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark 7, 21 through 23. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So my theology of sin was behavior. And then in 2009, August of 2009, God really started to explode, like to blow up my heart. And he changed my paradigm of sin to now I saw sin was not just bad behavior, but sin was something that's in your heart. It's, it's, it's a heart level issue. Like, our biggest problem is not our behavior. Our biggest problem is where that behavior comes from, and that behavior comes from the heart. Okay? So our biggest problem is not our behavior. It's, a, it's our heart. The Bible talks a lot about idolatry. It talks a lot about idolatry. Rodney did a sermon on idolatry uh, uh, maybe a month or so ago. So if you want to really spend a ton of time listening about idolatry, that'd be a good sermon to listen to. But listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones, how he defined idolatry. Should be on the screen. An idol is anything in my life that occupies the place that should be occupied by God alone. An idol is anything that holds such a controlling position in my life that it moves and rouses and attracts me so easily that I give my time, my attention, my energy, and my money to it effortlessly. Another definition. An idol is making something or someone other than Jesus Christ our true source of happiness or fulfillment. So again, it's not just bad behavior. As, as, as we see by these definitions of idolatry, it can be something good. It can be, idolatry can be good things made ultimate. So Rodney talked a lot about... Um, and his last time talked about the surface idols that we have, like spouse. Your spouse can be an idol, your kids, uh, your job, your, your hobbies, stuff. I mean, we, we could go on and on and on with these, with these idols, right? So we talk uh, surface sin and we talk surface idolatry. I want to introduce you to, to uh, Tim Keller. It's really helpful for me in, in understanding source idols, like understanding the root, where, where, where our surface sin and surface idols are tethered to, source idols. Three of them. Talks about three of them. Comfort, control, and approval. Comfort, control, and approval, or another way to say it would be satisfaction, security, and significance. So if you think through all of your sin and all of your idolatry, under that, at the root of that, is, it's going to be tethered to or tied to either comfort, control, or approval. Okay? Comfort, control, approval. And we're all created, we are all created by God to find our security, our satisfaction, our, and our significance in God. Like, we're created to find these things in Him. And what sin did is sin perverted that. So instead of looking to Him for, for security, for satisfaction and significance, 
Now we look in a million other places for, for those things. All right? So let's talk. Let's, I'm going to try to stir up some thoughts with you to see maybe um, how, how the comfort idol plays out. How the comfort idol plays out. So first thing, one, one, one word I love to use is, is self-medicate. Like, where, where do you self-medicate? When, when, you come, when you come home after a long, hard week or a long, hard day, what do you run to? What, what do you run to? Where do, where do you go to self-medicate? Where do you go to, to escape? Or maybe, maybe it's when you have a great, a great week or a, a great day. Where do you go to, to, to celebrate? Like, what, what, does your, what does your heart run to? Right? I mean, we, we can think of some of the, some of the big, bigger ones, the drugs, the alcohol. Um, I've already shared mine. Man, I, I dipped Copenhagen for 20 years. I know it sounds gross and sounds crazy, and it is crazy, and it is stupid, but ran to it hard for 20 years. Um, so, some of us run to the, to the fridge, to the pantry. Some of us run to, to a couch, to technology, to computer. Just running anywhere we can to, to just escape. And we need to recognize that we don't sin in a bubble. Like, for those of you that think, man, yeah, I, I, I do. You know, I, it's nothing for me to spend two and a half hours consistently at night on the computer. But gosh, it can't be that big a deal, can it? The problem is, is we don't, like I said, we don't sin in a bubble. So if we talk about the meth addict, the guy that's addicted to meth, it's pretty easy. We see he doesn't sin in a bubble, right? He does meth. His finances are, 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 are in shambles. His wife's ready to leave him, and he loses his job. I mean, we see that sin has far-reaching effects with, with him. But we come over here, and we have the more respectable sins, the, 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 the man who sits on his couch or, or, or sits in front of a computer screen for hour upon hour, and we think it's just confined, right? Ask your wife if that's just confined. Ask your kids, right? So we don't just, we don't sin in a bubble and it doesn't affect anything else. So it, it, men, if you're the guy that, that, that runs to those sort of things and just escapes, just like on your drive home, you're thinking in your mind, I just want to get home and I want to find refuge in something. I want to escape somewhere, right? And, and trust me, there's time for rest. I'm not saying that. I know there's time for rest. But when your heart runs to it, like, I need this. I need to find my satisfaction, my escape, my comfort in this. Chances are, that you, you, even if it's not a bad thing, like drugs or alcohol, maybe it's the couch, like I said, or maybe it's just in front of a computer, someone else is being affected. You're not passing your family right? So, so, so comfort. Where are you running to for refuge? Where are you running to for satisfaction? Next one, control. Control. One, one, of, one of the questions I, I, I like to ask, it kind of stirs up where we see the idol of control play out in our life, is just think through some emotions, like worry and anxiety, uh, anger, manipulation, trying to just move, move, move pieces all the time, trying to manipulate, making sure you're in control, right? The, the, the big ones is, are, are going to be worry and, and anxiety and anger. The big ones are worry, anxiety, and anger. Like when you're racked with, with, with worry, man, that, that, it just it, it paralyzes you. Anger, I've, I've, sh- I've shared before, 
um, my idol of control stirs up in anger. I mean, I'm, I, I want my kids to do what I say, when I say, now, right? And when that doesn't happen, when, when that doesn't happen, my, my propensity is to snap, right? So control, where, where, where do you see that? How does control play out in your life? Approval. Third one, approval. If you live by, by this motto or this theology that when, when I do well, God's happy with me. Or when I'm doing well, God loves me and accepts me. If you, if you, if you roll by that theology, you're, you're, you're struggling with approval. Like, if I do this, 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 and this, then God loves me. But if I don't do this, this, and this, and this, the smackdown's coming, right? Something, something horrible is going to go wrong. So that approval, that we, that, that we just try to earn God's approval. We try to earn God's approval by working really hard. It's like we get on that little hamster wheel, and we just run, 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 and we keep going, and we keep going thinking we have to earn God's approval. Or the, or the flip side of that same coin would be fear, what the Bible calls fear of man, like approval from, from people. Right? So the, the questions to ask to kind of stir that up, to see maybe how deep that is in you or where it plays out, is, um, you know, do, do you avoid hard conversations? Do you avoid people? Period. Um, do, 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 you, do you avoid engaging your neighbors? One of the biggest convictions I had over, over the last several months is in November, um, I was sitting in my car at my oldest son's football practice. It was the last football practice of the year, and it's kind of, kind of raining, it's cold, just dreary. Just one of those days, I'm sitting in the car. And at, I'm reading a book, and at some point I look up and I see three dads over talking. And... Um, Looked at the, saw the dads talking, they were kind of all huddled up, and conviction crushed me from the Lord. Conviction crushed me. So I look at these three dads, and for the last nine weeks, Little League football, nine weeks, for the last nine weeks, I had, I had hung out with those guys at least once a week. At least once a week, I'd been hanging around those guys, sometimes several times a week. So I had multiple opportunities to get to know these guys at a deeper level, to turn the conversation towards spiritual things. And you know, how many t- you know how many times I talked about Jesus? None. And so as I sit there that night, the last practice, I, I, I sit and I'm thinking, what is it? Why in the world would you not engage those guys? And you know what I came to the conclusion of? I, I wanted their approval. I wanted to be cool. I didn't want to be that, that weird guy that talked spiritual things. I didn't want to be that freak that talked Jesus. I didn't want to be that guy that made everything uncomfortable. We were having a good time talking about sports, and he had to talk about Jesus. Right? I didn't want to be that guy. I was essentially worshiping at the altar of man. And so where does that stir up in your life? Right? Where does it stir up in your life? Okay, two ditches. We, t- we talk about sin. I think it's important to have a good theology of sin. I think it's really important to not have this theology of like it's just a few bad behaviors, right? There's two ditches we can get into, I think, when, when we start talking sin. The first ditch is, is the guy or the gal. It's like 24-7, they are on an idle witch hunt. 
Like they're, they're looking around every corner for idolatry. Like they wake up in the morning wondering if they sinned while they were sleeping. Like it's, it's overkill. Like everything's, every, oh, I wonder if that's an idol. Whoa, what's going on in my heart? I mean, just 24-7, too much, right? Like I want to go to a game and I have to wonder if, I'm, if my Pepsi and nachos is, is idolatry. I just, sometimes I just want to hang out. So the one ditch is like, man, that's all we talk about. That's all they look at. I mean, it's overkill. The other ditch, just as dangerous, is, is the person that's like, don't go there. I, you, how about you mind your business, I'll mind mine, and we'll stay on the surface and we'll be good. Right? That, that, that person that just doesn't want to think about sin, doesn't want to know that there's something deeper going on in their heart, they just want to stay away from that. Don't, let's not talk sin. Right? So stay away from those, those, those two ditches. There, there's, there's a middle ground that says you can be aware of your sin without focusing on your sin. Like you can be aware when there's sin, right? We all have similar behaviors. Like you see a behavior, you ask yourself what's going on, you get to the root of that, you repent, and then you move on. You don't, you, we, don't, we don't need to belabor the point. We need to repent well, we need to see sin and then repent well. But we do, it doesn't need to be a 24-7. So just a, a word of caution. Um, stay, out of those, stay out of those ditches. One, one question that I think is really good to ask um, when we're thinking through idolatry and what's going on in our heart. Is there something too important to me? In this moment, is there something that's way too important to me? Right. So, so when I snap on my kids, I need to ask myself, is there something too important to me in, the, in that moment? And, and generally for me, it's, it's either comfort or control. You know, I'm sitting down watching TV and I hear the pitter-patter of feet and they should be in bed and I just want escape. I just want refuge. And so why do I snap? Because my kids are like poking at my comfort idol. Like they're, they're messing with it. Boom, I snap. Right, what is so important to me in that moment? Well, my, my comfort, finding my refuge finding my satisfaction, and plopping down on the couch, right? So it's a good question to ask. Is there something too important to me? Okay, listen to what John Stott says. The law exposed sin, provoked sin, condemned sin. The purpose of the law was to lift the lid off man's respectability and disclose what he is really like underneath. Sinful, rebellious, guilty, under the judgment of God, and helpless to save himself. So I thought it was important to, to really try to walk sin out, to see that, that sin can be doing something good with wrong motives. Like you serving at church to try to win people's approval, to w- try to win pats on back can be sin. Right? So I, I, I want to make sure we're clear that, that, that when you lift the lid, or you lift the hood of your heart up, and you look in there, Man, it can be really, really messy. We are really, really sinful. We take good things and make them ultimate. We do bad behavior. We are sinful. And I think it's important to understand this and to not live on the surface. And here's why. Let's go Luke 7, 41 through 43. Should be on the screen. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. 
And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So if, if all you do is sit at the service, if you would ask me before 2009 what my debt was, like what's your debt? How much do you owe? What, what, what sin, what sinful debt do you have? I probably would have said like, eh, I probably got, you know, $150,000 in debt, right? The truth of the matter is that we, our, our, our debt is, is it, it, we have billion dollars debt. We have billions and billions of dollars of debt. All of us. So, the, so there's someone here might be thinking, well, they have the billion dollar debt. I have like the $100,000 debt. We all have a billion dollar debt. And the great news of the gospel says that that's paid. That it's, it's paid. That we owe a billion dollars, and yet God, instead of making us pay, He made His Son pay by hanging Him on the cross. So we should get the wrath of God for our sin, and Jesus gets the wrath of God for our sin. Atonement. Substitutionary death. He died the death that we should have died. Right? And, 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 and that's, that's huge. The implications of that are huge. So we have a billion dollar debt and that debt is paid. Right? It's paid. Jesus paid that debt for us. The gospel says that you are so bad that Christ had to die for you. But it also sa- the gospel also says that you are so loved that he was willing to die for you. And so if you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you're not a Christian. You're just checking things out or maybe a friend brought you. There's a response that comes with this. this is, that's just not some factual, factual things that I throw out there. That you like nod your head. Like there's a response. Like God starts stirring and working in our hearts and shows us our sin and shows us our great Savior. Like he starts working. And so if God is working, like if you feel this weight or if you feel a stirring going on right now, you know what the response is? There, there's, there's, there's no like secret prayer. There's no secret prayer. The response is easy, and it's simple. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. Like, I see my sin, and I see Jesus, and I need a Savior, right? I need a Savior. So if if the Lord's stern in you right now, man, just cry out to Him. You can cry out in front of everyone if you want. Cry out to Him. I need a Savior. There is a response that comes with this. Okay? Ephesians 2, 2, 8 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And so when the Lord starts stirring and, and, and you respond, it's by grace. It's, it's, you've done nothing. We are saved by grace through faith. We have no room to, to boast. We have no room to boast. When God saves us, then he adopts us. Then he reconciles us to himself. Romans 5, 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we've talked sin, we've talked atonement, and, and now I want to talk adoption. Adoption. Christ's death on the cross reconciled us to God. We were separated from God because of our sin. Christ's death on the cross reconciled us to Him. 
Ephesians 1.5 then goes on to say that not only were you reconciled, but you were adopted. Ephesians 1.5, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So when you're a Christian, the, the second God saves you, you immediately are adopted into his family. So he calls you son or daughter and you can call him father. And this has huge Massive implications for us. It's huge. The implications of God being our Father are huge. Okay, most of us, most of us would readily nod our heads when we talk about being saved from the penalty of sin. Right, that that the penalty will not be poured out on you. Like you will spend eternity with God in heaven, not in hell. We are saved from the penalty of sin. We would also agree that we're saved from the, one day we'll be saved from the presence of sin. Like there will, there's a coming a day where no more sin. You will not be around any more sin. It, we will be in glory. What we need to, to understand and what I don't think we understand too often, I know I didn't understand it, is there's this middle ground or this, this between those two things. We can be currently saved from the power of sin through the gospel. The gospel saves us from the penalty. The gospels, gospels will one day save us from the presence. But the gospel is also saving us today from the power of sin. And so that's why Paul says, if you want to be fruitful, you need to understand the gospel and all of its implications. Because it's radical. It will radically change your life when you understand the implications of the gospel. The fact that we are adopted into God's family he calls you son or daughter. You can call him father. The, the, the implications of that are huge. They're huge. And so like I said, in 2009, the Lord started stirring some crazy things in me. I was introduced to a couple pastors that were preaching gospel. Like before that, this is what I heard. If you're not saved, here's the gospel. If you are saved, here's six ways to do whatever. Have a better something or other. Right? And so I'd white knuckle. I'd one, two, three, heave ho. I started in 2009, I started hearing these guys talking about the gospel for everybody. And the Lord started doing a work in my heart. The problem was, is I heard all this, I, I, something was stirring, and, and I heard gospel. I heard gospel centrality. I heard preach the gospel. I heard all these things, but I, I couldn't grasp them. I couldn't, I couldn't put my hands around them. When I looked at it, I loved it. I thought it was great, but it was like, it was like looking at trying to climb the Alps. I mean, it was just huge. I couldn't figure it out. So I'd be driving down the road, convenience store, Copenhagen, calling out my name, driving, and I'd think, okay, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, pull in, get my Copenhagen. I, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't changing me. I could not put my hands around it until I read a book by Tim Chester called You Can Change. And so what he did, what Tim Chester did in his book, You Can Change, he basically took all the gospel promises in the Bible and he lumped them into four big categories. Like essentially what he did is he gave us some, some handles on it. Like he, he, he helped me look through a grid. Like how does the gospel link up with today? I get how it links up with being saved um, from the penalty. I, I see that one day I won't be in the, I, I, I won't, have the presence of, of, of sin, I'll be in glory, how does it help today? 
and I needed someone to, smarter than I to, to give me a grid to look through. So we put these gospel promises in three big, four big categories. All right, here they are. Big buckets. First one, God is great. Second one, God is good. Third one, God is gracious. And the fourth one, God is glorious. So here are the implications of God is great. You don't need to be in control. Implication of God is good. You don't need to look elsewhere for satisfaction. Implication of God being gracious. You don't, you don't have to prove yourself anymore. And the implication of God being glorious is you, you don't have to fear man. Okay? So let's start. God is great. God is great. God is great and sovereign. And, and, and this, this, should, this should radically change us in our picture of Jesus right here. This truth. That God is great and God is sovereign. Like that's, that's for everybody. God is great and God is sovereign. But you know what makes it special for, for you, Christian, and, and me? You, you, know what, you know what separates this? That God is great for us because of Jesus. Like he's going to leverage all of his sovereignty for your good. If you're a believer, he's going to leverage it for your good. Like your father is going to use his sovereignty for your good. Not because you went to church all your life. Not because you've behaved well lately. Because of Jesus. So this truth of God being sovereign and great for us because of Jesus. So we don't need to be in control. So when, when you're not believing this promise that God is great for you because of Jesus, so you don't need to be in control. You know, what, you know what plays out in our life? Anger, worry, anxiety, manipulation. Uh, we hold tight to our money because that's our security. I mean, it, that, that, when we don't believe that promise, that anxiety is off the charts. Our worry is off the charts. Our anger is off the charts. And so when, when worry and anxiety and manipulation and maybe when you're holding on super tight to your mind, when, when, when these things start stirring up, preach this good gospel truth to yourself that God is great for me because of Jesus so I don't need to be in control. All right, next one. God is good. So God is good for us because of Jesus, so we don't need to look elsewhere for satisfaction. So when you don't believe this gospel truth, you know, you know what we do? We, we, run, we run to a million things. We run to a million things. Like, I thought I was being super righteous when, I, when, I, when we got rid of our cable, because I knew my propensity is hunker down on that couch, veg out, and watch a game. So we got rid of cable. So, you know, I'm all self-righteous and those people with cable, they're sinners. And you know what I did? I just, I just, I ran to something else. I started, started going to ESPN.com. ESPN3, by the way, you can get games on your, on your computer. You don't even need cable. Right? So in my, like, I'm thinking, done with it. 
But if you're not careful, you just, you just run to something else. You just run to something else. And so when you're running to the computer, when you're running to the fridge, when you're running to pornography sites, when you're, when, when, when you're running to hobbies, when, 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 you, when, when those are your refuge and escape, preach, preach the good gospel truth to yourself that God is good for me because of Jesus, so, so I don't need to look elsewhere for satisfaction. Like, Jesus does satisfy. He satisfies. Just Jesus satisfies. And, and don't, don't hear me saying that, well, I guess I can't ever golf again. I'm not saying you can't have hobbies. I'm not saying you can't watch TV. I'm just saying when your heart runs to that for refuge and escape and satisfaction, we got problems. All right, third one. God is gracious to us because of Jesus. So God shows you grace, not because you've done well or not because you grew up in a Christian family. God shows you grace. God is gracious to us because of Jesus. So, so we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to prove ourselves. So when you think you have to nail it, like when you think you have to do this, 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 and this for God to smile on you or for God to love you, you you're not believing this gospel truth that you are approved of and accepted and loved because of Jesus. Isn't that great news? Isn't that great news? Because if it, was, if it was our performance that earned that, at some point you're going to struggle. And, and then do we lose it? Like, our approval and acceptance and love is found in Christ. Period. So you don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to prove yourself. You actually get to read the Bible and you get to pray because of what He's done for you. Like, you're excited, right? Flip side of this, God is glorious to us because of Jesus, so we don't have to fear man. And so, so when, you're, um, when, when you're looking at your boss and you're trying to constantly read his body language, like, is he happy with me? Is he sad with me? Because if he's happy with me, my day's going to go great. But if he looks at me and he's like, down on me or if he's short with me then that ruins my day i mean if this is you kind of thinking through people like if you fear man if 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 you look at out at out at the three dads and and don't want to engage them you look at your neighbors and you don't want to if you're not believing this truth that's what happens is 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 people are too big in our life people are way too big in our life when we worship them when when we don't believe this truth and so what, what we need to do is we need to get a, just a huge picture of God. Like the God who, 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 who made the Grand Canyon like that. How glorious He is. We need to elevate God. We need to get a bigger picture of Him. And you know when you get a big picture of God, you know what it does to man? To the people in your life that you worship? It just, it just shrinks them to their rightful place. Right? But, but so often we have these people huge and, and, and we have a small God. And so God is glorious for us, to us, because of Jesus. So we, we don't have to fear man. We don't have to fear man. And so there's hard work to be done. I, I talked about, you know, the, the hard work. That, that hard work is misplaced. There is hard work to be done, but the hard work is this. That you, that, that you constantly are seeing in studying the promises that are ours because of Jesus. 
And then, and then you pray that the Holy Spirit would take these, these truths that sometimes just hover around, like we can't grab them. They're just kind of hovering here. They really don't make an impact on our life. Pray that the Holy Spirit would just take those truths and just shove them deep down in our hearts. So there is hard work to be done. We must work hard at seeing Jesus, at seeing the promises that, that He offers us. That's when we start to change. That's when we start to grow fruit. So if you want to grow fruit, if you want to be fruitful, look at the gospel. Stare and study at the gospel and all of its implications. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.